Folks, welcome back to Better. I'm your host, Mark Brand. Today's guest is a legend. I don't use that word lightly. I want you to know that I started with nothing and I may end with nothing, but it's not about us. It's about serving the kingdom and not to be a person to give up. That's what makes Taste for the Homeless what it is today. So every day I tell everybody I'm addicted to home. In the south side of Chicago, every unhoused person for as far as the eye can see, or as far as the map goes, knows exactly who he is. CEO and founder of Taste for the Homeless, where he coined the phrase, who are we as human beings if we ignore the suffering of others? Please welcome Dr. Michael Earhart to the show. And you've definitely been up since 5 a.m. today. How are you, my dude? I'm great, I'm great. I appreciate you guys for having me on the show. It's an honor man, to be on the show with Chef Mark Brand. It's amazing. <laughs> man, love is love. And, you know, it's overdue. You and I were talking a few weeks ago on the phone about something else we're working on. And I was like, how have I not had you on the show already? This is wild to me. So, folks, to give you a little catch up, as we always do, Michael and I met in about 2017, 2018. Uh, I was coming into Chicago for a conference and we were catching up with our mutual brother, Justin Cunningham and Chance the Rapper. And shout out Jens and Justin's organization, Social Works. Yes. So I was coming to meet with them. And they were like, oh, you got to meet with our guy. You got to meet with Michael and his wife, Pam. I was like, great. Absolutely set it up. And so what I did not know is that Justin can sometimes be a little bit tardy. So I ended up having dinner almost entirely with Mike and his wife, Pam. (laughs) And we went to a great seafood spot. And they told me about their mission and what they were doing. And I immediately canceled my flight. I was leaving the next day and bumped it for a few days and hung out with them and got to see their work firsthand. And we're going to talk all about it today. I'm beaming through the other side of the computer right now. <laughs> and I'm excited to hear you with the audience. So let's just, let's start at the start because I love, I love this story so very much. Start with where you're from, how you came to the passion of food, and then we'll get into what you're doing now. I'm from the south side of the city of Chicago. And in one of the, the low-income areas, um, Algill Gardens is where I grew up, which is one of the projects of the city of Chicago on 130th and Doty Road, which everybody known as Alligator Gardens because you weren't really allowed to go out there. Like, people were so strict with who comes out there, who try to change this. We were poor. And I mean poor. And so at that time... The passion came from me being an eight-year-old kid. And to this day, you know, I I don't question God and never ask why, but I was one of those kids that at an early age had instructions. And what I mean is God gives people that vision, that purpose early, and it's up to you to accept that. And at an early age, I literally knew I had a passion for not the people, but just food in general. And I started creating these this crazy meals out of what we had left in the cabinet. You know, when the government give you those boxes and you got like powder milk, government cheese, uh, the butter. And like I tell a story all the time. I done told it a million times. I think I was the one who created Oodle Noodles. <laughs> and at an early age, I had this thing where we would get the pasta noodles, which it was the spaghetti noodles. And um, I would cook that 
with a little bit of taste of the butter of the government butter. Mm -hmm. I drop in that hot boiling water. I will take the government cheese and I'll have a pot beside it and I will put the powder milk, make my powder milk and make the milk and put it in the pot. And I'll also melt that government cheese in that pot, make me a nice little gooey. I call it a gator ooey that I will literally put hot sauce back in the days uh, was like Tabasco sauce, the Vienna sausage and the spam. And I will cut all that up in there with that government cheese. And that was for us. And what it is now is a oodle noodle. And so I used to have a line of kids out my mom's back door. Like I started off feeding one because we only had beans. Me personally, I couldn't stand beans. So I started creating stuff. And one led to another. I would go up to the store, take the milk crates from behind the store, and I would line them up as seats out on the back part of my mom's door. And the kids would sit on East milk crate and back then tupperware was one of the major things back in the days where people would order tupperware bowls right so i would take the tupperware bowls and i would create that put it in them bowls and and i would feed every day and all my friends they baseball team basketball teams and i'm just why my passion is so strong for just feeding people at this age i could be out there on a baseball team i could be you know, doing something and it just stayed with me feeding people all day. You know, back then wasn't no cans, it was bottles. And once you drink that Coca-Cola in that bottle, you could turn it in and get the 10 cent. And so I will collect bottles all day. So I'm able to go to the store and buy this like um spice ham. It's like a, a loaf that we put on crackers. And I would give out those for lunch. And and back then it's crazy because I used to do this thing my grandmother taught me, and, and God rest her soul, because she had passed away. It was an army meal that we would take the ground beef, onions, and bell peppers that I used to honestly steal out the garden. Right. It was a garden across the way in the project. I don't know how they grew a garden in the project, but we had a garden with tomatoes and peppers, and I would take the bell peppers, cut it up, and this is what I do to this day. I would take that ground beef, fry that ground beef. I will sprinkle flour all over it. I will salt it up with a little garlic and different flavors because I like to taste flavor. And if it ain't to my liking, I know it's not no good. Then I will pour a nice container of hot water because we used to use the mason jars, the peanut butter jars. We keep those and made them as cups. Right. That's how poor it was. And it will simmer up to a nice dark gravy and we will pour it over a bed of rice. So my lines, just for that right there, it just grew. And I'm just thinking, you're talking to me right now, and I've been in meetings all morning and haven't eaten, so you're killing me. And I want to really paint the picture from childhood Michael to now. There is absolutely, you can already feel, there's no difference. Michael, you're 49 years young this year. Like, there's, there's been no difference. Oh, I'm going on 54. Look, <laughs> on June 28th, I'm getting old. <laughs> so Michael and I go out, I go to his house, I meet him in the south side to his home, his beautiful home with his wife. And he's like, let me walk you through the kitchen. But first we got to go grocery shopping. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. So he shows me the kitchen. We walk in the kitchen, beautiful, but tight kitchen. It was very tight. I'm shocked that you went in that kitchen. So we was in there, we had to open the back door up just for the breeze to come in. And you was just doing it with like, 
a passion. Like I'm like embarrassed to me. Like, and it was just <laughs> it was 118 degrees in the kitchen, or for my Canadian. Yes, friend, it was. It was like yes. 45, 46 degrees out that day. It was past yes. the weather. We were filling empty bottles of Gatorade and just chugging as much as we could. So I said, okay, well, where are we going to go with all this food? We cooked for a couple of hours. It was beautiful. It was so hot in that kitchen. I said, so how often do you do this? And he said, what do you mean? I was like, how often do you get up and cook like this? And he's like, every day. I was like, every day, like six days a week, like five days a week. Yeah. He's like, no, no, every day. And I was like, yes. so for how long? He's like, forever. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? And so he's like, I'm going to show you. So he opens his phone. He puts it on speaker while we're cooking. He's like, I'm going to call my mares. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about right now. And so Michael had gotten burner phones for all of the different homeless sections in which he serves. Yes, I did. <laughs> like people there who are the most reliable people who are living in shelter, living in tents, living in like sort of basically makeshift neighborhoods underneath overpasses, et cetera. Keep in mind. It's 118 in August. You know, it's minus 5,000 in February. Chicago is yes. a city of extremes where living outside should not be legal, let alone, right? So he's got these five different neighborhoods at that point that we're servicing. So he's on the phone. I'm coming at this time. I'm coming at that time. I was like, this is so amazing. So we're literally bouncing from space to space, handing out food, cooking out food. And it reminded us, of course, so much of the work that we do. But Michael is like in, in. We're delivering food. Michael's like, okay, I'm going to cook here. So we set up under an overpass and we're cooking for a few hours. And we had some other friends join us. And it was just so special because as we both know, and you can share all about this, showing up is the critical piece. The food is what yeah. people need to get nourished. You show up with the food, but the joy that you bring to community. So from eight-year-old Michael, what is the progression until like, let's say you're a teenager, right? What, what happens then? You've been cooking for all your friends. The Milk Crate Cafe is open every day. How do you transition? Like what happens for you next? I got to be honest because we wouldn't learn as as men or women because we all make mistakes. And I became a, a hot mix DJ, um, but I also end up be getting in a gang mm -hmm. and also end up getting into drug selling. And the thing was, it wasn't because, wow, I can make this fast money. I can buy houses. I can do this. I can do that. They thank me to this day because they said I was Robin Hood and I couldn't never understand what they mean by Robin Hood. I only got involved because I figured if all of our parents, including my own, the crack cocaine, well, it went from a powder cocaine to a crack cocaine and it took the parents in the projects. It came to a point where I'm thinking, what can I do to get the money back that our parents was giving to the drug dealer, the food stamps, everything. So in my mind, I thought I was doing the right thing. Let me get these drugs. I sell them. I get the money back and I feed all of God's people. I thought that was the right way to do it. I was getting the money back and every bit of it was going to the school projects of paying their fees and getting them clothes, putting food in the houses because, you know, the parents are disappearing. We wouldn't see them on payday. They're gone. So I knew I was wrong and I was feeling bad. I was feeling real bad about it. The Lord was making me feel like a burning sensation was in my body. Every time I would sell that drug, I was burning up inside. And that's when I realized the Lord said, well, you don't supposed to be doing this. And if you don't stop, I'm going to teach you this lesson you will never forget. So, of course, I didn't stop. I ended up catching a case. I'm in the 
Cook County, not the prison yet, because I'm going to show you how God works. I looked at the wall and I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I remember late at night, two, three in the morning, the guards come in and say, Earhart, it's time to get dressed. And I'm thinking I'm going home. God answered me. Do you know they taught me a lesson? And I think it was all of God because not only did they put me on dressing clothes, the orange incarceration suits, they shipped me to the prison that night. Now, look, I ain't even seen a judge for my case. I wasn't even convicted. How can you send me from a Cook County to a prison overnight? I was one of those persons that, okay, we're going to teach you a valuable lesson because we know you're good. It's something about you that we love. So we want to keep you positive. When they stripped me down, okay. oh, my God, I'm not built for this at all. When they say get against that wall... <laughs> And, and strip, <laughs> it changed my whole life. I'm not built for this. I said, Lord, now <laughs> I know you're not playing with me. And here's the bad part. Every time I would have to face the board so I could figure out, why am I here? It wasn't no board me. They canceled it. Every time. I sat in there six months before finally I got a review. When I think back, it was all set up for the good. I knew one of them had a smile. He was like, he wanted to laugh about what was going on. But I didn't laugh. I'm in tears crying like I don't supposed to be here. And I started explaining my life, what God told me to do, and I was disobedient, and I'm paying for what I did wrong. Just please give me another chance to change my life. They granted it. Okay. Not only they granted it right away, that's how I knew it was set up because I could leave out of there with what I had. They said, you could go in there and dress down, get your stuff. I said, the stuff I'm donating to the people that's there. You can keep everything. I go out here in my boxes. And from that day, when I got out, I hit the knee. I kissed the dirty ground. I'm out. I said, Lord, God make dirt, dirt no hurt. I kissed that dirt. And I said, Lord, you will never see me ever again here in life. I said, I'm going to serve you. I started looking for a job. Didn't even go back into serving his kingdom. I ended up getting a job. I'm making all this money, but I was miserable inside. And I couldn't understand why. And I gave my notice. When I was a kid, in my 20s, at the drug dealing days, asked my friends. I tell this story a million times. I said, hey, we had this thing called Taste Chicago, so we all know about it. I want to go. I just want to go get that barbecue drumstick that we always go get every year. And one side, the Lord, he telling me I have to go there. And I didn't know why. My friend, no, man, it's about to close. I said, come on. We drive down there. I'll never forget the guy who clamped over the gate because you need tickets to get in there. Taste of Chicago. The guy clammed the gate. He came over to it. It was a Muslim guy. It was one of the biggest pizza companies in Chicago. Back then, it wasn't donating the food to the places. They was putting the food in the dumpsters. And so he dumping the blast of this pizza in front of the homeless guy. The homeless guy crying, and he said, sir, can I please have a slice? The man told him to get the elf away from the tent, or he called the police. So I said, okay, I got tickets. I'll pay for it. He told me, if you pay for anything for this man, you're going to jail too. And I said, how can you do this if I'm paying for it? He said, try me. 
So this man crying, he's really hungry. He ain't ate in three days. He didn't want no money. That's when I knew God had my life. I said, you see this whole place where all these restaurants lined up and these stages with entertainment and giving out stuff that you got to pay for? You know, this is Taste of Chicago. He just gave me taste for the homeless. What we're going to do is the same thing you see here, I'm going to recreate in another park, but it's going to be 100% free for all the homeless to come in. And the rules is no one can tell you no. He started crying. He hugged me. He said, God bless you. I am hope I'm around to see this. And that's where Taste for the Homeless Vision came from. 20 years later, I sat on it because the Lord told me I wasn't ready to bring it out. I was married before. I ended up going through a divorce. I ended up marrying my childhood wife that we grew up in the projects together. I knew it was something special about us, but we ended up growing up and going to high school and going our ways. God put it back together. Then he told me, you need to release this to her. I broke the story down. I told her about taste for the homeless. This is what we need to do. We got to go on this 401k. We got to do this. We got to do. She said, baby, she grabbed my hand. She said, let's do it. That's when I put that first flyer out and it blew completely out the wall. In one minute, 380 shares. I'm sitting there. I'm up to a thousand shares, 3000 shares. Like, oh my God. And the vision is to give you a taste of every kind of food a chef can make for free. The Lord told me it's three o'clock in the morning now. He said, type this message, type it and send it to Chance, the rapper. Folks, you are listening to my brother, Dr. Michael Earhart. Please keep it locked. We're going to be right back. Do not go anywhere. You are on better. I'm your host, Mark Brand. Folks, welcome back to Better. You are with me and my brother, Dr. Michael Earhart. Coming in from the south side of Chicago, pause right there. So first of all, Pam should be on the show with us right now. So send her my biggest love. Yes. She is a force of nature. And now knowing, you know, the five years of you exploding this thing. And I do mean exploding, like everywhere, even at the White House. Like yes. everybody acknowledged what's going on with this and really just showing love to it. But it started with your instructions, your passion, what you care about, what you knew needed to happen, and then having an incredibly strong person right next to you to help you execute it. Because when you're unified in love, as you know, anything is literally possible. But more importantly, that the challenges, and I was just with a group here in Halifax, Nova Scotia today, African Nova Scotians working around farming called Hope Blooms. We adore them. We love what they do. And the same conversation we're having here is, uh, I knew I had to do it, so I was doing it, and then I would figure it out later. And it would, it would happen. So I ask Michael, I'm like, cool, so how do you put this all together? Because what you're talking about at this point is a quarter million dollars to like put a festival together, to have all the things that you need. It's not, it's not like, hey, does somebody have a tent? Yes. So then he tells me that he goes on Twitter and please, please continue. The Lord told me to type in and tell Chance everything about how this started, what my vision was and where I want to take this in the future. Five minutes later, he responded. I lost my mind. I shook the wife in the bed. I said, you're not going to believe this. And I don't know if this is real, but Chance just responded 
and told me he'd been watching me for a while and love what I do. How can he get down uh, in my mind? He said, yes, I want to I want to be a part of what you got going on. He said, it's unreal. Yes, we got a lot of people feeling less fortunate and doing different things. But what your vision and how you doing it is unreal. And he said, can we talk in the morning at 830? Now, here it is at 3 a.m. I'm like, OK, now I can't even sleep like, OK, I'm going to stay up and wait till 830 come. And sure enough. He put the number in, come 8.30. Remember, I gets up at 5 mm -hmm. to go and start my day with feeding the people around the city of Chicago. So I'm up. I'm pacing down the street back and forth. Here come 8 o'clock. Here come 8.30. No phone call. I'm getting ready to get in the car to pull off. He called. And I seen it come up on the thing say, Chancellor Bennett. I literally lost it. So I had to wait. I had to catch my breath. <sighs> I asked her, he said, hello, this is Chancellor Bennett. I, I fell out laughing. I had to put it on mute first because I, <laughs> I just fell out laughing the way he said it, right? Then I unmuted. And the thing was, he said, "Um, so what do you need? Do you, you need cash? I said, no. Not knowing now, back then, I probably would have took the cash because I know how this is what it costs now, what it takes to do this work. But even then, the Lord told me, don't take none, don't ask for no cash. All you need him to do is help me take that taste for the homeless brand and introduce it to the world. That's all. That's it. And lo and behold, he said, I have some best friends that I grew up with. We are partners with Social Works, and I want you to meet them. They're going to take good care of you. So he said, Jessica going to get in touch with me in a couple of days. He called me. And he introduced himself and he said, my boss said, I have to take care of you. Make sure you're all right. That's what he did. The next day he was at my door. Incredible. He was at my door. And so after this happens, the first taste for the homeless occurs and you've got people. I mean, I really wanted to paint the picture for folks because we're looking at two different things here, right? The major thing that you're doing every single day is meeting people in triage. We're going to start. We literally have no access to food, who have no resource, who are street entrenched. And you're feeding people every single day all over the city. Yes. And that's one portion of the work. This piece that we're talking about right now is a gigantic advocacy piece, right? And that's how why it caught a fire, which is people are always looking for ways to help. They want to help, but they don't know how. And so when they see an idea that gets them excited, Taste for the Homeless, Our Token Project, whatever it may be, it goes viral instantly because folks are like, yo, this is it. People want to experience joy. They should have access to resources. They should be able to have fun and enjoy their lives as well. And so Taste yeah. really did that and set it off. And we've seen other things come off of that from Los Angeles and Oakland, all over the place that are very similar models that will be a day a year, whereas you do multiples that are get people together, get them critical resources, get them clothing, fit them out, let them see folks. And that's certain people's way of giving back. It's like, I yes. want to see this thing. But what you and I have always mutually understood is, no, it's to build advocates. Yes, it's for joy to help people out. Yes, it's fun for them to you know, have a day where they can just let their shoulders down and enjoy themselves. But most importantly, it's for people to see how big the problem is. You've done an incredible job of selling it as passionate, like I need help here and to really gather resources. But more importantly, you've changed tens of thousands of people's minds, if not more, about what homelessness looks like in Chicago. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, Let's talk to our audience a little bit about 
what the homeless problem looks like in Chicago right now because it looks like many other cities. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could say it got better. Um, it got worse. And now that we have the migrants, we got about 8,000, now about 9,000. You know, when they first landed here, I got reached out to, and I thought I was going to cook. Can you come out to um, bless the migrants with some, you know, nice food? And so I'm thinking I'm going one day. One day went to a week straight, to two weeks straight, to three weeks straight. So I end up bringing the Free Taste Cafe, cooking from sunup to sundown, blessing the migrants every single day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, fresh clothing. And, you know, also I got the shower bus. That's right. They um was in the motel, but a lot of them, you know, still came out with me. And, I mean, the line just got bigger and bigger. They putting people up now in motels and trying to get them in these buildings and old schools that they close. And, and it's working, but we still have to remember that we have people here that's been waiting longer than them. Sure. They never got looked at. And so, you know, some people feel a lot of different ways, but... As my wife always say, we have to take care of God's children. There's no race, no color, no creed. We are one. And that's what I said. We are one. And so I get calls all day, every day. Mike, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. And you forgot about, no, I ain't forgot about nothing. I'm going to continue to bless God's people, regardless how you feel of the situation, because God has a plan in the end. It's going to all work out. People think that if you're working in the social sector, and I'll say that just as like, you know, we're working in different parts of what it is to support other people who are in need of social assistance. And that assistance could be food, it could be housing, it could be services, it could be all of it. Mm -hmm. People are going to be universally supportive of what it is that you do. And that is just simply not the case. Suddenly, you become a, a place for them to place their own politics or agenda or feelings or thoughts constantly. And it's emotional labor that becomes part of this. The conversation you're having is occurring across the bridge from where I am right now. Um, which is in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is a predominantly African Nova Scotian space and place, has also landed a bunch of migrants recently. And there's huge tension. And the tension isn't that we don't like folks that are from elsewhere. It is there is not a lot of resource and we don't have enough ourselves. So therefore, how are we dealing with this? And why has this become a priority? People are too uncomfortable to have those conversations. They shouldn't be. It's like, let's have the conversation. The resources should have already been here for the folks who needed them. And we should have more for the folks that we brought here that we have identified that need them too. It's hard. And I, I know that you carry that mantle because people are like, well, Mike's just going to look after everybody. You know, you're still, when it all boils down to it, you're an individual and you have a beautiful organization, but the organization is small. And the amount of stuff you're able to do and the amount of labor that you carry, both physically and emotionally, is giant. And so you find yourselves in these situations. You know, I've obviously spoke to your wife about this stuff too, where she's like, I can't believe people are being so rough on us. You know, we're just here trying to do this thing. And you have to, at some point, turn it off. Yeah. Because everybody's got an opinion about everything now. And since you and I grew up before the internet, you know, since that point, everybody thinks they're an expert <laughs> in, in all of the things that you actually do. Yes. I just wanted to pull that out and share that not only am I certain that everybody listening has a tremendous amount of empathy for that, it's also to say to people, think before you speak. Think before you decide to add more emotional labor to somebody else who's doing a tremendous amount of it, unless that is to support that person. That's right. So you're doing all this, you're going back to your neighborhoods and dealing with all that. Where are you getting resource from? I know that 
people have been really kind and donated equipment. And I know that you work well with some grocery stores and some people, but you know, how is that all operating now? Are you still working out of your kitchen? Where are you working out of? Like what's happening? Um, so I don't work off my kitchen anymore. I, um, work off my grill, my flat tops. I, I think I didn't have them then when I got with you. No. Um, I get up getting blessed with an evil grill flat top through chef Jamie. Chef Jamie is one of the celebrity chefs that back in the days used to cook for Madonna he used to cook for um, Oprah Winfrey. He he fell in love with me. I ended up going down there to cook on his show. And I seen this state of the art back. It looked like a back to the future grill, like sitting in the corner. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm looking at it like I had never seen nothing like that in my life. So I'm feeding hundreds of people now. I can go with thousands if I get that because I'm cooking made to order right while you stand there. Right. And they heard that comment. And so, you know, my birthday came up. They wanted me to come back and film another show. Chef Jamie made me a birthday cake. I love strawberries, whipped cream. And, and so I'm on the show crying about the cake. Then he presented me with some of the best pots. So I'm sitting there. I got this stuff and I'm crying over that, not knowing they rolling that grill up right behind me. It had a bow on it. And they said, we want to help you grow with the work you're doing for God. And... They said, turn around. I turned around. I literally almost fainted. <laughs> so I end up getting blessed with the first evil grill. Now I'm cooking for thousands. I love that. Lo and behold, a month passed. And I get tricked to come down there to take some photo shoots with them. And they rolled up another one. And I've been going hard since. So if there's a goodness book, a world record, and feeding people every day, seven days a week, Thousands of people offer the flat top grills. I give you a menu now. I love this. It went ballistic. So I said, if it's a such thing as a goodness book, I know I need to be in there. What is next for you? Because every time we talk, you're like, oh, and now I'm doing this. So what have you got coming up? So what I have in place now is I already had the shower bus. I just got donated another bus from a church. And we couldn't get it started. I had to put it in the shop. The bus is literally turning into a 30-bedroom hotel on wheels. Wow. So this is a long international school bus from back in the days. No rust, no nothing. So I already designed what it looks like. I already 15 beds on each side, like bunks. Also, a little eating area, shower, and a toilet. And also, we have a couple computers sit area where you can reach out for people, loved ones, or, or look for a job. And we also have a chair in there for a barber. Beautiful. So I got it two, three months ago, put it in the shop. I'm, I'm trying to get it ready because my event in Dalton Park, where we bust in the homeless from every shelter around the city of Chicago and the suburbs to this one park. And that's the Taste for the Homeless Summerfest. Right. I just get a call the other day and I'm thinking I ain't heard where's my bus. I need this to go pick up the less fortune because we didn't create the hotel yet. Then they slapped me with a bill. <laughs> it gets dark, but it also clears up that part. And I got to keep believing that even for myself. So I want you to know that I started with nothing and I may end with nothing, but it's not about us. It's about serving the kingdom in spite of all things. And not to be a person to give up. And that's what makes Taste for the Homeless what it is today. Because 
We want to make sure that everybody's dignity is there. I don't know what's in your life, but one thing I do know that if you ask God to forgive you for everything you had did wrong, he will forgive you and he will change your life. And I tell everybody, I used to travel around the world. I was a techno DJ. I put out records. I had a good life going ahead of me. I mean, I did a lot and gave it all up because I wanted the feeling of the Lord in me than me worrying about the material life. I feel good every day knowing I put something in somebody's mouth, something on somebody's body, and I gave them hope. So every day I tell everybody I'm addicted to hope. So if I'm in my takes for the homeless van riding, I always carry food, good food, hot food. And when if I see you at the bus stop, see you at the stoplight, I can't give you no money, but I can give you a foot long hoagie. You know, I can give you chips and a cold pop. Mm -hmm. I can bless you that way. It's not always about money. If I had it, I'd give it to you. I want people to be touched in the heart because we in this together. There it is. My man, I can't say enough thank yous for taking this hour with me today. Yes, sir. And all of the work you do. Thank you for sharing yourself so openly today. The story of you, you know, and how you came around and the adversity and the things that really showed you the way. But most importantly, thank you for being so relentless. You know, there is not a day, and folks, I just really need to land this, not a single day that goes by that Michael isn't in the streets feeding people every single day. You know, we hang our hat on our meal program, but I got 12 people rotating in, feeding people every day. Um, but he is truly on that grill, doing the thing with his folks every day. So if you care about this, if you want to support, all the links will be in the bio. And of course, you can find them on all the socials. My man, love you. Thank you for being with me today. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you guys.